he talks about these like four people there. I think they were from Iowa. And with their last meal in Manhattan, and they're about to go back to Iowa. And he says, well, what was your best experience? They go, well, we had a lot of good ones. He goes, anything you missed? He goes, yes, we never had a New York City hot dog. And so Will Gudera, who you know, owns the restaurant, he goes outside in his suit in the middle of the day and he gets a couple of hot dogs in the street, brings to the kitchen, and he asks them to cut them up. He says, sure. And they play them with mustard and relish and you know some sauerkraut. It comes out. Of course, the chef didn't want to do that, being a chef in a top restaurant, but he wanted to do it to give them the experience. Now, whatever kind of food they had, I think they had a duck that night. It didn't really matter. They're going to be talking about the hot dog. This is the Dental Marketer Podcast, where we teach you how to effectively market your dental practice. My name is Michael Arias, and my mission is to help you, the practice owner, to grow your practice, attract new patients immediately, and be seen as the go-to dental office in your community. Now, have you ever found yourself at the crossroads, agonizing over how to grow your practice from just good, where you're breaking even maybe, or you're a little over breaking even, you're paying everybody, you're paying yourself, but you're not where you want to be yet. You're not at your absolute best. Regardless of the competition, you want to be at your absolute best. Have you ever wondered how to do that? Well, listen into this episode with Dr. Michael Sonic as he unravels the wow experience that shot his practice to the top. And if you ever wondered how to truly wow your patients, going above and beyond their expectations, then this episode is for you. We're going to uncover the keys to delivering unparalleled patient experiences, ensuring that your practice stands out in your community. But it's not just about the patient care. Dr. Sonic will also shed light on the secrets to building an extraordinary team, discussing everything from the essential personality traits to effective role allocation. We'll be diving into the first and most vital step to bringing on board those exceptional team members. And we're also going to cover five core values that Dr. Sonic has that he swears by and how he masterfully implements them to create an environment that fosters success and patient satisfaction. And while technology has its place, we'll learn why human-to-human interaction is irreplaceable when it comes to connecting with patients on a profound level. And additionally, we'll explore a unique twist in today's episode. He's going to take a page from the restaurant industry and share the secret sauce he brings into his practice. This is one of my favorite books that he shares. And you won't want to miss how he adapts this outside-of-the-box thinking to deliver unforgettable patient experiences. So if you're looking to take your practice from good to extraordinary, then stay tuned because Dr. Michael Sonic is about to reveal the wow experience that will transform your practice into something truly exceptional right here on the Dental Marketer Podcast. And if your practice is near a warehouse or a corporation, or more specifically, if you're near an Amazon warehouse or an Amazon fulfillment center, and you've always wanted to get the employees from this corporation to come to your practice, or maybe you wanted to be a preferred provider just for the employees, then stay tuned after the interview, and I'll give you more information on this. But for now, let's listen in to Dr. Michael Sonic. Michael, how's it going? It's going great. Thank you for having me on the show, Michael. Appreciate yeah, it. definitely. Definitely. I appreciate you coming on. If you don't mind me asking right now, tell us a little bit about your past, your present. How did you get to where you are today? Well, I'm appearing honest. I've been private practice since 1985, and I graduated dental school in 1979. So I'm probably older than most of your audience. And I've had a true passion for 
Yeah, working with my hands and also customer service. And so over the course of my 35, 40 years of building a practice, one of the things that resonated with me was really developing great connections with my patients. And my background was in the, not only the furniture business and woodworking, I was a lifeguard, but I also played cocktail piano. I did a lot of work in the restaurant business. So I waited on tables, I was a bartender, I was a busboy. Um, I even was a chef in the kitchen. Mm-hmm. So in college, every, every summer I would have a job, you know, when I was a lifeguarding, I moved over to hospitality and that was a lot of fun. I met a lot of people and I realized the importance of connecting with, you know, my customers who are people in the restaurant. So for years, I always thought about the importance of really serving people. And we do that as dentists and also serving people in the restaurant business. So there were a lot of parallels between the restaurant business and my office. So when I first opened up my practice, I opened up in 1985. And for whatever reason, I was sort of entrepreneurial. I didn't know it at the time, but I just decided and just wanted to work for myself. And, you know, today we have a lot of different choices. You can work for somebody else. You can work for a large corporation. You can open up your own practice. I still think there's a real strong need for people to be in their own practices and to connect with other human beings. But you can connect with other human beings if you're in a large corporation or if you're working for somebody. That is critical. So in dental school... I did okay. You know, I, I liked it. But when I became a periodontist, you know, I did, was a general dentist for a few years. And then I went to my residency program, became a periodontist. And then I really just really enjoyed it. And I pulled all-nighters. And even though there weren't any grades, and it was a pass-fail. I just really, really got into it. And I, I spent a lot of time, the first 15, 20 years in life, my, my career, building my craft. And I think that's essential. You have to be really good at what you do. Most patients don't really know if you graduated first or last or if you did a good crown prep or bad ground prep, or you're good at dentures or extracting teeth. But what do they know? They know that you didn't hurt them. They know what your fees are, and they know what the experience was like. Unless it's a front tooth, they're really not going to understand the quality of your work. So I still think it's real important to do great quality work because it puts you in a, in a niche at top. So that's what I did. My first part of my career, I just studied. And I went to a lot of courses, and I spent a lot of time teaching. And I've been teaching for 40 years clinically. But I also realize it's real important to be able to connect with the people that you serve. And you have to do that by building a strong team. And that's by hiring the right people. And that's a whole different, you know, that's a whole different thing. How do you hire? How do you get the right people? How do you develop a culture? So there's a number of things that I believe you have to do to be a really successful dentist. One, you have to be great at your craft. Two, you have to have a nice looking office. It has to be clean. It has to be neat. You have to be clean and neat. And three, I can't say it's most importantly, but it's really important. And it's something that's not taught in dental schools. You have to have the ability to be able to give great, superior customer service. Now, when I say customer service, it's not the stuff that's expected. It's the stuff that's not expected. It's the unexpected. It's going above and beyond. And, you know, Michael, I'm sure you remember those four or five great meals you had in restaurants or somewhere. It could have been in someone's house. And you, if I asked you, what was a great meal? You probably could think, like, well, it's this meal. And what happened during that meal was the food was good, but there's also something very special at that meal. Maybe it was the type of wine they opened. Maybe it was the way they gave you special attention. Maybe you didn't tell them that it was, you know, your friend's birthday. And then they came over with, and they did an over-the-top, you know, thing for them. Mm-hmm. Those are the things that, that we really remember. And I try to do that for my patients on every visit. We call it in our office, giving them the wow experience. I really like how you... Pointed out these four things. You got to be great at your craft, nice looking office, ability to give great customer service. And I remember not that long ago, I read this book called Unreasonable Hospitality. And it provides... Like William Goodera. Yes. Uh-huh. Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's a classic. Yeah. Love that book. And I like how he said, service is black and white, but hospitality is color. Right. And so it is what you said, like, you got to go above and beyond. So how do we do that in a practice? Because I know 
you're kind of a master at this. You wrote a book called Treating People Not Patients. And so you dive deeper into this topic on just hospitality or what is that about? Yeah, that's, that's a good question. Well, Will Gadir's mentor was Danny Meyer. I don't know if you know who that is. Danny Meyer. People know Danny Meyer because of Shake Shack. But Will Gadir's, his restaurant, 11 Madison Park, was mm-hmm. top restaurant in the world one year voted. It's one of the best restaurants in Manhattan. Well, that was Danny Meyer's restaurant. And Will Gadir bought that restaurant from him. Danny Meyer started Gramercy Tavern and he started uh, Union Square Cafe. And he lived in Madison Park. He has about 50 restaurants in Manhattan. Wow. But he got put on the map financially because he started Shake Shack. And that's a, that's a whole other story. That's what made him very wealthy. But he, he brought what we call enlightened hospitality to the restaurants. And Will Gadara ran with that because, you know, he was a mentee of Danny Meyer and took it to the top. And in his book, he talks about the things that they do. They actually have somebody on staff there. That's just there. I, I think you call it the director of customer experiences. Yeah. Yeah. Great great experiences there, buddy. He gives them that, those those unique experiences. And in his book, he talks about these like four people there. I think they're from Iowa. And it was their last meal in Manhattan. And they're about to go back to Iowa. And he goes, what restaurants were you here? And they talked about it. And, you know, a bunch of foodies talk about the same thing. And you probably are a foodie if you read that book. He says, well, what was your best experience? They go, well, we had a lot of good ones. He goes, anything you missed? He goes, yes, we never had a New York City hot dog. And so... Will Gadara, who you know, owns the restaurant, he goes outside in his suit in the middle of the day and he gets a couple of hot dogs in the street, brings them to the kitchen, and he asks them to cut them up. He says, serve them. They play them with mustard and relish and, you know, some sauerkraut. It comes out. Of course, the chef didn't want to do that, you know, being a chef in a, in a, in a top restaurant. <laughs> but he wanted to do it to give them the experience. Now, whatever kind of food they had, I think they had a duck that night. It didn't really matter. They're going to be talking about the hot dog. And the hot dog has nothing about food. So how do you do that? And, that, and in my book, I, I have 10 different chapters. I also have a series of videos that you can purchase that are specifically there to train the staff. And there are different techniques you need. You need to be able to be nice. It's basically four words, be nice to people. And when you have somebody in your chair or your office or in your waiting room, you know, are you nice to them? And how does your practice look to them? So the model of my practice is actually based on the restaurants, but it's called the Zagat model. Now, Zagat was a restaurant review book that was published by Tim and Nita Zagat out of Yale. It's no longer on the market. It was bought by Google, but they rated restaurants based upon three things, food, service, and decor. So I'm going to make an assumption that every dentist out there knows how to, what they need to do to do good dentistry. So we don't serve food, we serve dentistry, but we still have to have good decor and we still have to have good service in our practice. So how do you do the decor? Well, there's a whole series of checklists that we have, and we have a checklist for everything that we do in our practice. We have a checklist for the human being in our practice. Is your hair combed? Are you clean? Is your uniform pressed? Do you have a nice smile? Are your fingernails clean? Do you wear nice shoes? We have something in our office called the white sneakers. So in our practice, everybody wears white sneakers and they're clean and I buy them for everybody. And if they're not clean, they could go out and buy a new pair and they have permission to do that. So when people join our practice, we tell them what our team is about, what our culture is about. And as one of, one of the most important things in the dental practice is to be neat and clean because people are afraid of a couple of things in the dental office. They're afraid of pain. They're afraid of how much it's going to cost. They're afraid of the unknown. But they're also afraid of diseases and germs and cleanliness. Mm-hmm. So if you have an over-the-top clean office, you're going to stand out. Very few offices are like that. So we do a check and we go through it. We go through everything in the office. And I do sort of I'm sort of very picky when it comes to cleanliness and, and having everything run very smoothly. So I'll do little things like I'll unscrew a light bulb. I'll see how long it's going to take for somebody to realize that the light bulb's unscrewed. And I say, hey, how come nobody saw that light go? Yeah. We used to have telephones with the cords that used to be raveled. 
I used to, if I saw a raveled phone cord, I said unravel it. And then when it unraveled, I'd unplug the phone and I'd take the cord out. So people would answer the phone and there'd be nothing there because the cord would be unraveled. They'd go, oh, Dr. Sonic was there doing that again. Yeah. Sometimes I'll leave a piece of trash on the front lawn. Didn't anybody see that? And I do sort of games like, you know, with that, with, with the people in a practice. I say, bring it up, bring it up, bring it up. So I think that do that, you have to just make a decision early on. Are you going to be an excellent practitioner? Are you going to be someone who really wants to give great service to your patient? You realize that's important because I'm telling you it is. It makes such a difference with your patients if you were present for them. And I have a lot of different strategies for that. Cleanliness is one. Another one is giving everybody on every visit a phone call after their first visit there, whether it's surgery or not surgery, from the team. And the next day, I will call a patient. So patient gets two phone calls from our office. Not many people get that from, from their dentists or their doctors. Another thing that I do that's really important and that I've recommended to every dentist, but nobody does it, is the patient letter. Every first visit, Michael, if you came to see me as a new patient, let's say you had you come in and you look like you have nice teeth, you have no disease or anything. Michael, it's a pleasure seeing you today. Today we did a diagnosis on you, a comprehensive examination. The good news is you have no periodontal disease, you have no decay, you don't grind your teeth, you don't need a bite guard. Okay. And um, I'm very happy to say that if you get your teeth cleaned every four to six months and just brush and floss, you'll probably not need any dentistry for the rest of your life. Pleasure having you here. If you have any questions, feel free to call me on my cell phone, 203-209-7029, or email me in my private email, mike at sonicdmd.com. Who gets that from their dentist or their doctor? Now, if you had a severe problem, you get a more detailed letter. And then I'd, and I would say to you, go home, read this, discuss it with your you know loved one or your friends, or you maybe you know somebody else that's a dentist, read it. And if you're not sure about whether you want to go through a treatment, come on back with your you know husband, your wife, your mother, whatever, your son, daughter, and let's have a consultation. We'll talk again and share that letter. So what I do with this, a very specific strategies is I give information and I make it very easy for patients to communicate with me. Now, a lot of doctors, now I work with a lot of physicians. It's really hard to communicate with physicians. They want to communicate with faxes. They do not give you your personal email. You never get their cell phone. So if I'm going to meet somebody new, Michael, if you were a new person I'm working with, doctor, Michael, what's your cell phone? What's your personal email? I get that all the time. And I have a database and I have a huge database so that I can call you directly when I want to communicate, as opposed to, I haven't heard back from him. I haven't heard back. So I'm very proactive about getting things done. I think my skill is I'm well-known as a good surgeon, someone who does a lot of implants, et cetera. But my real skill is good communication, being very clear and direct with my patients, no ambiguity. You know, I know if you know about Adam Grant, I'm sure you've read his, his work as well, psychologist from the University of Pennsylvania. He says what people find more more challenging is not getting negative information or positive. It's that one in between. It's the ambiguity. When mm-hmm. someone is ambiguous, it's confusing. And you've probably been with people. I mean, a lot of people do this. They don't do it inadvertently, but they may do it, you know, because it's just their habit. They use confusion to control you because they don't want to make a decision. So they'll start to say, you know, well, I could do this this way. And you're talking with a patient. It's like, are you going to go through treatment? Are you not going to go through treatment? What's the deal? So I find out. I go, you seem a little confused. They go, what is it? Is it the money? Are you fear of going through it? Have you had bad experiences? Uh, Do you not think you're worth it? Do you want to give the money to your children or do you have to pay for something else? Or do you just not trust me because you don't think I'm competent at what I'm doing? Here's what I can do. And I give patients all the information that I can. And I have, I can give it to them many ways. I can talk to them like I'm talking to you. I can write down pictures. I can open up my website. This is another topic we can talk about, which I have over 1,200 pages of content on my website. So they can go there. Uh, I've written 
six books, four of them picture books that are self-published in the office. So this is a gum grab before, this is after. And we can all do this. We can just take a picture and do that. So I show them my work so they can say, this is my stuff. So you can look at it. Very few doctors will show you that. I don't know what that's like. Oh, you don't know what a bowler ab looks like? Here, here's a PowerPoint presentation. This is a flap reflector. This is the bone. This is the graph. This is what it looks like six months later. I will show them. I'll take away the mystery. I always say to patients, it's sort of like you're in the Wizard of Oz and I'm the wizard. I'm very omniscient. I have all these powers. I'm behind a curtain. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to take back the curtain. I'm going to bring you into my world. I'm going to take you backstage. And I love going backstage in operations. But I'm going to take you to my backstage. I'm going to show you what I actually do. And a lot of doctors are afraid to show the patients what they do. And then it, be then it becomes ambiguous because they don't trust you. And what's the most important thing you want to be your dentist or doctor or anybody who has responsibility? You want to be able to trust them because you want to be able to feel loved, cared for, nurtured. It's almost a spiritual experience when you're having that kind of a, a relationship. It's not an I-it relationship where like you're an object and I'm just giving you a coin like I'm going to a toll. It's a really intimate relationship. And I try to break down those barriers. Now, I, look, I'm, I've been practicing a long time. I couldn't do this when I was 30. I had to develop competence. But I was very arrogant as a young dentist I, because, you know, I was good. I was good. You know, I was good. I was good in my residency program. I had no experience, but I thought I was good. I thought I was smart. I thought I was cool. It was all basically a, a front because I was insecure. I realized I didn't know anything. I've been practicing one year. How do I how you talk to a patient with confidence? It's very hard to do that. Mm -hmm. So how, what do you do as a young person if you don't know how to, if you don't do that? You tell the patient what you can do. You tell the patients what you do know. You tell the patients what your experiences is, and you give them that great experience, you know, in that area. There are a lot of little hints that I can give you to do that. You know, from the simplest ones to writing a letter, to cleanliness, to calling the patients, developing a team. Now, developing a team is a very difficult thing to do. Yeah. It wasn't to say, oh, I love the dentistry. I just hate my staff. Well, that's a problem. Okay. <laughs> want to be able to love your staff and you want your staff to support you. I get a lot of compliments on my staff. Most, actually, most people leave the dental practice, not because of the quality of the dentist, but because of their relationship with the staff. Or even meet a patient. You know this because this is what you do for a living. Before a doctor, before a patient even meets me, they probably have 15 to 20 different touchstones with our practice before the referral phone call, the website, the location, the outside of the building, the parking lot. What is the door squeak or not when you walk in? Would it confirm properly? Do you say hello? Hey, Michael, welcome. Or is it, what's your name? They know it's 11 yeah. o'clock. We got one patient coming in. Might as well greet him by the lane. How you doing? The nurse meets them. They go in there. By the time I walk into that room, I got to really be bad to blow it because they've already been sold. They've been sold because they've been treated well up until that point. And it's like, all of a sudden I walk in, it's like I'm a movie star walking into that room because they say, oh, the doctor's here. Yeah, but they've been treated well up until that point. And they often say, you know, with Danielle or Amelia, treat us really well. Whatever they say to do, we'll do because our team is really what supports us and lifts us up. Mm -hmm. Gotcha. And I feel, can you give us a little bit more insight on like how we can build the perfect team? I, I feel like there's a lot of people who feel like they get B players and they, they turn into C, they get A players and then the B players are bringing them down kind of thing. Yeah. It really start, it starts with the with the leader of your organization. In dentistry, how do we become dentists? Well, you're going to get good grades in school. <laughs> it's nothing to do with clinical skills or building a team or being nice to people, right? It means you're good at multiple choice tests. I always say to some of my friends you know, that are really smart, but that that's successful. I said, you know, the problem is you're too smart. You always get the expression that you uh, the A students work for the C students, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and so it is like a different skill set to build a team. And it's, I have a whole chapter on hiring and how do, how do you build a team? And mm -hmm. we build it. First of all, you got to know what you want. And I think before you build a team, you got to figure out who you are. 
And that sort of starts with developing uh, a mission statement or a statement of purpose or how, whatever you want to call it. It's there's like, well, what is it? What does your practice want to look like? Mm-hmm. Does your practice want to look like someone who's just making money, that just does high quality dentistry, or does it want to look like someone who really helps other people? So we developed our mission statement decades ago, and it's really, we've, we've dumbed it down now. It's not really dumbed down, it's simplified, and it's really to improve the quality of patients' lives. So when I hire people, I want people to be able to be similar to my mission. I want them to be able to help people. Now, I can't really train people to be nice. You know, I hire nice people. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's what it, I would hire you. You seem like a nice guy. Now you're, you're smiling. You're good. You, you, make, you connect with people. So you'd be great. You know, I would probably hire you based upon this, this podcast right now. You can really get, you know, Malcolm Gladwell, I'm sure you know, he talks about a blank. You know, it's like immediately you sort of know. So we develop our core values. And I think every practice should look at their mission and their core values. And that's, that's a lot of self-work. And our core values are involved being servant-hearted. You know, so I want people to be servant-hearted. I want them to be able to treat patients well. I want them to have very high integrity. I want them to be health-oriented. And I want them to be teammates. I want them to be educational. So those are our five core values. So I'll, the most important ones, okay, are having integrity. That's that's a that's a non-negotiable in our office. You know, if you don't have integrity, if you lie, if you steal, et cetera, that doesn't work. Um, and you have to be servant-hearted. You have to want to serve the people. So everybody in my practice, I have 25 people in my practice, everybody is there to serve. And that's what we're there. And also they should be good teammates. So we want to get along. When you have 24, 25 people in the office, small office, it's not always easy. But we always talk about it. We talk about that. And we're very transparent. No ambiguity, like I talked about earlier. We're transparent in that if there's a problem, we're going to bring it up and we're going to say, hey, what's the problem here? Not make it personal, but talk about what the problem is. Sure. Once I define who I want, then we craft an ad and we, we interview people. But before we interview them, we get their resume. And you can tell a lot from a resume. We get them to fill out an um, employment application. There's some basic information, but what's really important is we do something called a culture index. And not a lot of people know about this, but I do this on almost everybody in my life. What a culture index is, is is a way that we can, I can look at somebody's personality and I look at them for seven different characteristics. Are they autonomous? Are they going to work on their own? Are they going to follow orders? Are they very social or are they very, are they not social? Are they very detail-oriented? Something very important for a dental assistant. Or do they not, they're, they're not detail-oriented. Do they have a sense of urgency? Or if they're really laid back and they just move at a slower pace. So mm-hmm. that, those are the four major ones. But then it's like, how logical are they? I want people who are logical. Do they Are they creative? And do they have higher or lower energy? So I look at that and I'll tell you something. If I look, there are seven dots. And I can look at these seven dots. And I look at I probably look at 15 resumes and culture disease a week. I can mm-hmm. just look at them and within about literally seven or eight seconds, I know what that person's like. Okay. I can, and I don't know their integrity. I don't know if they're smart, but I know what kind of worker they're going to be. If they have the wrong culture index, they're not getting hired. And every time I don't follow the culture index, I hire the wrong person. Okay. I always try to fire it. So the culture index, the resume and the um, employment application. If I like the culture index and the resume, which is about one out of every 25, then they get a FaceTime interview with one of my office managers. If they like them after the FaceTime interview, they bring them in and then we do the blink. And I look at them and within about three or four seconds, I know if they're a pretty good fit or not. If they know nothing about my practice, they you know if they haven't read the website, they're probably not a very good, they're not curious and they're probably not the right fit. If they don't stand up and look me in the eye and shake my hand with a firm handshake, they're not going to get hired. If they come in, they are looking terrible, disheveled, unwashed here. If they're 15 minutes late, 
Okay, if their fingernails are dirty and their shoes are all scuffed up, they're gone. So, I mean, it's just very quickly and it saves us a lot of time. We very rarely hire the wrong person anymore. It took me a long time to do this. And when I like, if I like them doing that blink, then the rest of my team interviews them. If they like that, they go home. And then if we like them, at that point in time, we bring them back for a working interview where they spend a full day with my team. And that's not for me. My team that makes the final decision. Are they a good teammate or not? And we know very, very quickly. If I ever feel badly, sometimes people look great on paper and they, you know, I mean, other people like them, but they give me a knot in my stomach, they don't get hired. And I think you know that you, you either like it, it's a very, it's a chemical thing that happens. And when you're pretty perceptive and you become perceptive to this and you can train yourself to become more perceptive, you start to see, because there's nothing worse than hiring the wrong person. And now they're there for four or five months. Now you got to let them go. It's stressful. It uproots their life. I'm doing somebody a favor if I don't hire them. You know, I don't want to have to hire somebody to fire them. And we very rarely fire anybody. The reason people leave is because um, usually, you know, the husband gets transferred or wife gets transferred or something like that, or, or they go back to school. We have a lot of people who go back to school and, you know, better themselves. You know, I have like three or four people who went to medical school or, or dental mm-hmm. school that worked in the last few years. So the hiring process is something I find very fascinating because I get to put the team together. I'm not hiring me. I'm hiring a teammates. And if like somebody doesn't work out in one area, we have other jobs in the office where I can move them around to. Like one of my best, one of my assistants is really social, but she's terrible at details. I mean, you know, I asked her to hand me the blue thing. She hands me the red thing. I, I know that about her. She's been with me for 11 years. Uh-huh. And she's always forgetting stuff, but she's the nicest person. And she always takes care of people who are nervous and she'll do whatever it takes to really connect with people. She's the best connector, but she's the less detailed. So that's what we use it for, connecting with people, making people feel good. She's great. You know, and we love her. She's just a great, great human being. And I have other people that are really detailed and really, and, and really persnickered. They're going to get everything right. Those are the people who do all my ordering and make sure everything is there. You know, so I'm not going to give my ordering to the person that's really nice, but not detail oriented. And yeah. vice versa, I'm not going to put that person uh, who's very detail oriented, not always that nice, you know, with a, with a disgruntled patient, something like that. It's very fascinating how you put the team, the teams together. Stress. When I have a good team. You built like a, a system here to do that. You know what I mean? Especially tailored to you. Or I think you can kind of like create this uh, system and put it in literally any practice, but then they can kind of tailor to their mission statement and stuff like that, right? And it's very strict in the sense of like, or not strict, I guess, but it's more like, hey, this is the requirements. Because every everything has to have a requirement, right? In order to to function well, even if you have, if you play Monopoly, right? You can't just, if I were to play Monopoly with you and I decided to do my own rules, you're going right. to be like, this is not fun no more, right? I don't like doing this. Exactly. But if I were to go by the rules, we can all enjoy it and it's fun. And yeah. uh, nobody in my life is perfect and I'm certainly not perfect. So we're all different. Mm-hmm. We all know, like my partner, I have two partners and my partner, Ray Ma, he has a very different personality than I do, but I don't expect him to have my personality. He's not a visionary. He's a very good surgeon and he's very detailed and he likes to look at numbers. Now I'm good with numbers, but I don't like numbers. I don't like to look at them. I don't like to look at <laughs> pros and cons. I give it to somebody else. I make money, but I don't do the spreadsheets. I don't even know how to use self spreadsheet. I mean, that's just not what my brain is. So like we said, you know, can you teach me numbers? Yeah, I can teach you numbers. You know, if you make money and then you have this much, this much debt, you subtract your debt from the money, which left over is the number that you got. That's your, that's your net worth. I, I just really simplify it, but he's great at that. And we work out very well because we do different things. So I try to get everybody into their own lane in the practice. So my lane is very clear. You know, I'm the visionary and the marketing person and I do surgery and I try to keep the, I try to keep the culture running well. So when I'm not there, because right now I only work two days a week, I work Tuesdays and Wednesdays. So the rest of my time is either teaching or, um, you know, writing, which I love to do too. 
So I, well, I'm there Tuesday, Wednesday. So I come in Tuesday morning. I'll be frank with you. It's not the same as this when I leave on Wednesday night. And, you know, boxes may be out. This is here. I go, what's going on? And I just come through and they know it. They know what's coming on. And I go, that's right. Dad's back in the house. Okay. Get in line, man. They go, I know it. I know it. But I buy them lunch too. And I'm real nice to them during the day, but they know exactly what I want, when I want it. Last night we had a, uh, we had a meeting with a group of dentists. We would do a lot of education in the office. We had a study club. And last night, the other dentists would go, man, they really treat you well. They're putting a cup of coffee down for me. They're cleaning up my area. I would, yeah, they are. They are treating me well. It's not because I beat them. It's because they have certain roles to do. So do I, if I have to entertain 30 dentists, do I need to go down and make a cup of coffee at that time? Isn't my time better spent up there running that room and doing the education, doing everything else? And I make sure that they're all, they're all rewarded for that. They don't know this yet, but we do a bonus system. This month, each of my staff is getting a $2,000 bonus because based upon what we do. I don't push them to make money because they're not, they're not on this bonus system like the more we do because I don't want to do that. But, you know, when we when their office does better and we're above a certain percentage, you know, they, they get the share in it. It's always like a gift that they never expect, but nobody yeah. works for that. So nobody's on like a percentage there or anything like that. There are hourly employees, including my hygienist. And some people like to bonus them for doing more, but they don't have to do any selling for me. They just go in there and work. And then when they work hard, you know, sometimes they get they get rewarded. So we haven't told them. I just found that out last night, my partner, because he does nice. nice. That's oh, fantastic. Nice. And it's good to do that. You know what I mean? Like to to see the team, like, like yeah. achieve it and everything like that. So yeah, and I, we buy them lunch. We do, we do a lot of nice things for the staff. We go to a Danny Myers restaurant every year. We rent out the back room. This year we rented out the back room at the Gramercy Tavern, which is an unbelievable room. And a lot of my team members have never been to New York City they delve into a Broadway play. You know, we, we'll, we spend nine o'clock in the morning until probably midnight every summer, you know, taking the team to New York with four or five events, staying in great restaurants and you know, having a really, really nice time. And so they talk about it to the, pay, to the patients. And then they bring back the same culture from Danny Myers Restaurant to our office. And they know that we're running like a Danny Myers Restaurant. On the cover of my book, my blurb is, Mike's deeper calling is to use hospitality gifts to make people feel better is lessons applied in a customer-facing business. And it's Danny Myers. He gave me a blog on the top of the book, which was a big deal. I mean, that, that meant a lot to me. He, for me, is my role model for hospitality. And Will Goddard, of course, I mean, yeah, he's, he's phenomenal what he does. Now, we call it a well experience. You know, he tries to do that for everybody in his, in his place. And that's how he became number one restaurant in the world. If you read his book, you know, he, the first time he was, he was invited to Europe, I think it was London, and uh, they were going to give him an award for being one of the top 50 restaurants. He goes, yeah, great. One of the top 50, but they didn't know where he was. He was number 50. Okay. So I won the top 50, but I'm 50. It bothered him. And that was the night he went back to his hotel room with his uh, partner, the chef, and he wrote down on a piece of paper, because we're going to be number one, you know, within the next five years. And I think it took two years later. And then he wrote down unreasonable hospitality. And that's what he wanted to do. Every time a patient comes in, I want to give them something that they're going to think about. It could be like, if you want the best restaurants in my area, I have a list. If you want a place to walk, I have a list. If you want the top neurologist, I have that number. If you want to go to hospital special surgery, you need knee replacement surgery, I have a, I have a list of doctors down there. I have doctors all over the country. You need a periodontist in LA, I know who to send you to out, out in LA. So I, we, we make sure that our patients always are well taken care of, and I connect with other people that are similar. And so you end up building a network of like-minded people. You know, So if you want to be great, you want to run a really successful practice, look at other successful people and ask them. How can they help me? Call me. They help me. I don't do consulting. You know, I just do teaching and, you know, lectures. That's what I don't have a consulting business. But if you have a question, send me an email, mike at sonicdmd.com. I'm happy to give you some advice. I'm happy to direct you to the right place. 
Oh, you're in, you're in, you're in Idaho. I know somebody out there that's pretty good that you can look at. You're in Columbus, Ohio. I know a great guy there that you can talk to. Find other people to mentor you because great people love to mentor others. I mean, that's what you do. You like to help people. I mean, that's sort of what the core value of your business is, making the people that you work with more successful. And that's yeah. a, it's a pretty cool way of living that every day I get to go to work and be the gift to my patients, which basically, you know, they always say giving is better than receiving. It is. It is. I mean, mm -hmm. and definitely, it definitely is. It's just a great, and you get paid for doing it too. I mean, we, yeah. we have a great job. We get to help people, get paid for it, do clinical things, meet all these great people. I mean, you know, and improve the quality of people's lives. Yeah, and no. It can be better than that. Yeah, thousand percent. So then where can we, because I know right now we kind of just talked parts of the book, right? Where can we go get this book? Well, you can buy it on Amazon. So it's, uh, it's called Treating People, Not Patients. You can go to my website, which is my name, michaelsonic.com. And uh, on my website, you can see courses that we teach. You can download videos. Uh, there's a video series that, that is, I think, very powerful. It's three and a half hours of videos that you that are in segments, 15-minute segments. So once a week, you sit down with your team and you look at the segment. It comes with a workbook, a course workbook. You can have your whole team write through the course workbook, and there's a series of questions. And you get to evaluate your office. You know, and there's a bunch of series in there, like how do patients want to be cared for? Are you good at telling a story? You know, to do comprehensive examination. We haven't talked about that, but that being comprehensive is really important. Most doctors, most dentists do not do a comprehensive examination. They look for procedures to do. Most dentists are pothole fillers and they don't treat people comprehensively because they think they got to fill their book and they got to make money. Bottom line is you treat people comprehensively, even if they don't need any treatment, they're going to refer you to other people that want the same thing. And people are going to be waiting around the corner to get into your office. You know, I mean, I'm booked until January and I don't do any I mean, I don't do any real marketing. My marketing is all internal. I just started to do some external marketing because I have two partners, my younger one, to build their practice. And uh, I was just playing around with it. And I take no insurance. So I've never taken insurance. And uh, four to 7% of the population that is going to take insurance. My partner who joined me 10 years ago wanted to take insurance to get busy. I go, no, wait, just treat people. And it took him a couple of years. He got busy. It's slower to build a practice if you don't take insurance, but you can do it but you can't do it by being mediocre. You gotta be exceptional. Not as a dentist, but as a human being to your patients. And if you wanna do that, you can do that. That's a lot more fun. And my my youngest partner, you know, she's been with me two years. She takes no insurance either. So I'm booked, uh, I'm booked until January. My mid-range partner who's middle-aged, she's 40. He's booked until, I don't know, he's booked like six weeks. And uh, my youngest person, she's out on pregnancy leave now, but she's got a full schedule. Not the waiting list, but she's not moving there two years. But in two more years, you're not going to get into her schedule either. So, yeah. you know, I always say to my partner, Ray Ma, by the way, I'm an American. I practice in my hometown, 200 years from where I went to high school. Ray Ma is from China, communist border of North Korea. Su uh, Jin Yu is from Korea, Seoul. So, I mean, you know, and I have five or six people from Europe here. I have a very international practice and it, it doesn't really matter. It doesn't matter, really matter for your problem. If the same principles apply, I, I said to my partner, he goes, well, you know, I can't really do what you do because I'm not from Fairfield. I said, I can open up a practice in downtown Beijing and be busier than you. I said, that's an American. He goes, what are you talking about? I said, because I'm going to treat people well. And the joke was, because he's Chinese. All the Chinese patients came in and wanted to see me, not him. But I didn't realize at the time that it was like a status to see an American dentist as opposed to a Chinese dentist. Uh, it's like everybody in Korea wants to go to Harvard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Gotcha. Interesting. My, my, my Korean partner did go to Harvard, so. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, that's interesting. You're doing a lot, man. The seminars, study clubs, and then the book, right? And then your practice that you're running. It's a lot. So if you could, 
uh, one of the final pieces of advice that you can give our listeners right now that would kind of help them move the needle towards where they want to go? First of all, I take two days. Go to a hotel room by yourself or somewhere by yourself and start to write. And write what your practice would look like if you could do whatever you want. If you could take a magic wand and wave it in front of you, what would you like that to look like? And then, I mean, spend some time doing it. Do you want to be a restorative dentist? Do you want to do a lot of Invisalign? Do you want to do multi-specialty practice? Do you want to be, you know, if you want to own a group of practices, because there's so many different options. You know, if you feel like you're entrepreneurial, you want to buy practices, you don't really want to work, but you want to, and create that. And then find mentors and role models that have done that and hang out with them. I remember when I was in my early 30s, I said to a friend of mine, I said, in 25 years, this is what I want to do. I want to teach all over the world. I want to be well-known nationally and internationally. And I want to be an educator and I want to write articles and I want to be well-known like these people. And the people at the time were David Garber, who a lot of people know, mm-hmm. and Frank Spirit. And I said, that's where I want to be. They go, wow, that's, that's a lofty way to be. I said, and I said, that's what I want. And so what I did was I started to meet those people and all the well-known people in our field, I know, you know, I wouldn't say they're friends of mine, but I have all their cell numbers and I talk to them all the time. And the sharing that goes on is really, really magical. So create a network of people. One of the things that a lot of people do today, especially your younger audience, is they do things on their own with social media and they learn from Instagram and they see other people and they text. That is a way to do it. I'm not saying it's wrong, but it's not a way to really connect with people. You don't build your practice by texting. You don't build it with social media only. It's a way to get people in front of you, but you really build it with human connectivity. All the work you do for your clients is useless if they come into a dirty office where the dentist doesn't care to them, doesn't spend the time looking in their eye, talking to them, and asking if they have any questions, and handing them the business card with their cell phone number or personal email. You don't have to do that. By the way, my cell phone does not go off with patients calling me. They very rarely call me. But when they do, if I'm there for them to re-cement a crown on it, like as I did last Sunday morning, before the patient flew off to Portugal for two weeks, because the front tooth fell out, you know, his dentist didn't, I'm a periodontist, his general dentist didn't pick up the phone. I did. And I re-cemented it with permanent cement, so it'll be okay in Portugal. And I gave him the name of a dentist I know in, Le- in uh, Lisbon, say, call him if you have a problem. Giving him, not only cementing it, but giving him in contact and then giving him my cell phone saying, if you're, if you're listening and the tooth falls out, call me. That's a wow experience. That's yeah. unreasonable hospitality. That's over the top. And what did it cost me? I live a mile from my office. It cost me 25 minutes and a little bit of cement. And that is great marketing because that patient's going to be telling that story. And I said to him, I said, he goes, well, what do I leave you this? I go, nothing. He goes, nothing? What, what am I going to charge you? Can I make enough money for that one visit to get the marketing value? That not only was I there, I didn't charge him. I said, nothing. I said, you know why? I said, because you're going to be telling this story to people for the next 10 years about how the, nobody would call you back, but I came, your periodontist came in to re-cement your tooth and gave you a cell phone number and a dentist in, in Lisbon. I told him exactly what I was doing for him. He happened to be a retired guy who, was, who used to be marketing himself. So I told him, and that kind of transparency was pretty fun, you know, because yeah. you can say that. I wasn't saying, well, oh, don't worry about it. No, here, I'm doing it because I'm manipulating you to promote my practice <laughs> And come back here. By yeah. the way, he's going to need an implant there. So he's going to be back in, you know, in, in, in a few weeks. I'll take care of him at that point in time. But that really gives a great value to him. And, I, and I, by the way, I sent him a follow-up letter. He said, call me when you get back. Let's take a look and come up with a treatment plan. Okay, not only did I see him, did, did the service, gave him a contact number, gave him my cell phone. I sent him a letter. Okay, that's over the top. And it's fun doing it. So yeah. what do I do? Be nice to people. Be really nice to people. Connect with them. Don't rush off. Be there. And the biggest way you can build your practice is when something goes wrong, fix it. Mm-hmm. Don't dismiss yourself in a part. That's what a lot of younger people want to do. Ah, I don't want this complication. Be there. 
If you can't fix it, find someone who can and develop relationships with those people. It's all about human connectivity and those will transform your relationships with everybody. Yeah. Because it's not about industry. This is just about, you know, connecting with people. No, yeah, that's wonderful. Wonderful. So with that in mind, if anybody wanted to reach out to you, call you or anything like that, where can they reach out to you? Well, they can email me at Mike, M-I-K-E at sonicdmd.com. They can text me on my phone, 203-209-7029. They can go to any of my websites, my name, michaelsonic.com. You can read my book, which I think you'll find very helpful. A lot of dentists have read it. I've had over 170 reviews from dentists, from Dennis Tarnow to Christian Coachman to leaders in industry like Peter Diamatis and others. It's been really well received. Um, my goal is to get this book into every dental school so that we change the culture of how we treat people, you know, both dental and medical schools. And I'm, I'm talking to physicians as well about this. So it's my passion. I'm not hard to find. So Nice, nice. Awesome. So guys, that's going to be in the show notes below. So definitely reach out to Michael. And Michael, thank you so much for being with us. It's been a pleasure and we'll hear from you soon. Okay. Thank you, Michael. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode. I truly appreciate you. And Michael, thank you so much for being a part of the podcast. We really appreciate you. If you want, go in the show notes below. Check out his book, Treating People, Not Patients. And in this book, he provides an invaluable look into the principles that have allowed him to create a state-of-the-art patient-centric practice. A lot of it, what we talked about in this episode, you're going to discover a huge role on hospitality and how it plays a major, major aspect in people's life on making them feel better. And in the book, he also talks about understanding the power of excellent service through human connection and so much more. So definitely go check out that book. It's going to be in the show notes below. Look for his name, Dr. Michael Sonic. And then under that, you'll see the book, Treating People, Not Patients. And at the same time, um, if you haven't yet, go check out Unreasonable Hospitality. That's a fantastic book by Will Godara. One of my favorite books. And we talk about it in this episode, like you heard. It's a great book for the whole team to read and start implementing. So definitely go do that. And at the same time, on Thursday, November 2nd, I'll be showing you how to get new patients and how to get your foot in the door into Amazon warehouses slash Amazon fulfillment centers. Now, I don't know if you know this, but each month I add more to the ground marketing course. That's my signature course that I created just for you. And honestly, it's the best way for you to work with me if you're interested in ground marketing or working one-on-one. But every month I tend to add more strategies such as this one, right? The Amazon Fulfillment Center, how to get in there, how to get into Amazon warehouses. Now, I provide you with the exact scripts, who to contact, how to do it, if you should walk in or call, how many times, and even the scripts on what to do if they object or say no and so forth. I literally guide you from zero to 100, from wondering how to get new patients, just just if you just have that thought, how do I get new patients from that area, from Costco, from the senior home, from the Starbucks, from the Amazon Warehouse Fulfillment Center? I get you from there to having those patients, those employees, those customers, those clients into your chair. So if you're a member of the Ground Marketing course, then getting into Amazon Warehouses slash Fulfillment Centers will be living under the corporations unit. Um, And I'm going to put a link to the ground marketing course login in the show notes below. So for the members who are listening, just click on that and you can scroll to the corporations unit and you'll see it there. And I will be doing a live office hours. So you're only going to see it there after November 2nd. Now, for those of you who are not part of the course, a live office hours means all members can join me one-on-one live in real time. 
as I talk about the strategy and answer any and all questions or concerns you or any of the members have. And we do this every single month with the Ground Marketing course. So if you want to learn this strategy on how to get into Amazon Fulfillment Centers or Amazon Warehouses, then join the Ground Marketing course because I'm only going to share it there. And I mean, this course is amazing. You're not just going to learn that. So many ground marketing systems that will guarantee new patients. You're going to learn how to get new patients from schools, daycares, gyms, spas, banks, small businesses, large corporations, medical offices, federal departments like police stations, fire departments, postal offices, coffee shops, realtors, senior homes, restaurants, and so many more places. I So many strategies that I share with you, scripts and things like that. You'll become an exclusive member to our private ground marketing Facebook group. You'll learn how to convert leads through the phone. You'll learn exactly how to follow up with these leads. You'll learn the most optimal way to perform and act at any event for the best results. And you'll get all of my ground marketing tools. You'll have an insider's look at my ground marketing workbook, ground marketing calendar, and how we organize all our events and leads. You're also gonna get all the templates, step-by-step instructions to all the workbooks, You'll get all of my ground marketing scripts that we utilize to get into locations and businesses. And you'll even get updates on the most current and hot ground marketing strategies. For example, the Amazon Warehouse, Amazon Fulfillment Center. A lot of the members were wondering how to do that. Boom, I got you covered. So click the link in the show notes below and enroll now and do it before November 2nd so you can join me live and learn how to get new patients from any Amazon Warehouse or any Amazon Fulfillment Center. Awesome. So that's going to be in the show notes below. So click the first link in the show notes below and enroll as soon as you can before November 2nd. Awesome, guys. So that's going to do it for this episode. Thank you so much for tuning in and I'll talk to you in the next episode. 